Hey everybody, it's Andrew. We're back, finally. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Audible.com for sponsoring the podcast. As you know, they have over 200,000 audiobooks to choose from. They're great. They got dramas. They got romances. They got uh, erotic fan fiction, I'm assuming. I don't know. Exactly. Roberta's happy. I actually don't know if they have erotic fan fiction, so don't go looking for it. Um, but go to audible.com slash theater and that. You get a free audiobook, a month trial. You'll love it. They'll love you. We'll love you. So check it out. Audible.com slash theater and that. Hey, Roberta. Andrew, four I, months. Four months. Four months. I know. I could have been like way along pregnant this <laughs> Oh, wait, I'm very old and that's not going to happen. Are you um, pregnant? Do we have to talk? No, okay, no, good. No, there's no star shining in the east for that. <laughs> Uh, uh, you have been very busy. I have. Uh, I post. I don't know if I told you. I posted a catch-up episode, so I couldn't find it. No, well, it's up there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I bought a house. Um, I was actually just there, spackling and painting and and installing a wall. I installed. A, I had a drill through a metal door today. Oh I know. I didn't burn the house down. I, I have no clue all how. The testosterone dripping off of you, boy. <laughs> okay, on that note, let's just get into this. Steve. Power drills. Steve, start the music. <clears throat> Gotta throw up the salute to the number one city. It's the 412. I call the Pittsburgh. Andrew is here to tell you a word or two. His middle name is Peter. He brought Roberto along to talk about some things. CO City acting so hot, I might break the heater. Even the greater can act, and we can rap a lot on the track. And as a matter of fact, so can Roberta and Andrew. In this city, there is nothing that you can't do. So you might as well sit back, open up your ears, and you can hear good crap. And relax, cause it's the podcast, Theater Renat. Hey everyone, it's Theater Renat. Uh, I'm Andrew Wolf. As always, is the lovely Roberta Hans joining me. That Hello. sentence made no sense. <laughs> uh, you can tell it's been a while we've done since we've done this. Um, should we just get into it? Absolutely. Our guest today is uh, Spencer Whale. He is currently directing Peter and the Starcatcher at stage sixty-two, which I just you know happened to be in, so I figured, hey, free publicity, cheap episode. Spencer, welcome to Theater Nat. Hey there, it's great to be here. <laughs> Uh, so let's just get into it. Spencer, how did you get involved in theater? Like, were you in it since you were growing up? Or? How did I get involved in theater? Well, I'm actually able to trace that really easily. Um, we played a lot of Broadway cast recordings in the car when I was taking my brother to preschool. So started very young. Started, my mom took us to the theater and museums and everything cultural from a young age, as well as, you know, enrolling us in any sport that she thought she might be able to get us involved in. Um, I started doing a little bit of acting in elementary school, bit parts in, you know, little theater school shows. And then it became clear that that was sort of difficult to be ferried back and forth from, and it cost a lot of money. And I just sort of gracefully bowed out and said, you know what, I'll come back to this in junior high. Did every junior high and, and high school musical and play. Uh, started discovering as I reached the end of high school that what I was really into was directing, not acting. That I had more ideas than I could fit into one character. Um, and though I had always been advised and sort of uh, 
made to understand that theater was a hobby and not a, a way of living, not an entire career, um, my family started to support me and realized that the architecture career that I had been preparing for wasn't really where my passion was and that I should go study theater. So I went off to Cornell, studied directing, and uh, started freelancing. And here I am now back home in Pittsburgh doing what I love. Lovely. You went to Cornell. That I did. Congratulations on getting into an Ivy League school. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. So um, what show? What type of shows do you like to direct once you get... If you, if you had your druthers, as they say, what type of shows do you like to direct? You were saying you like smaller off-Broadway shows? Absolutely. Well, I, I like to say that my work is mostly split between the classics and new plays. Um, the classics meaning way back, I'm talking Shakespeare, I'm talking maybe a little bit of Greek tragedy, I'm talking Moliere, Commedia dell'arte, um, pieces that have been revisited and revisited um, and worked their way into the fabric of our culture. Um, I love to tear those open and tell relevant modern stories in exciting new ways. And I love to develop new plays with living playwrights. Um, so I think there's something great about being the 700th production and being the first production. I like plays that tell relevant stories uh, that our audiences can relate to and that they can walk away from having something to think about in their daily lives that can reflect on choices that they'll make. And um, I don't think that theater is purely meant to entertain. I think that there's a responsibility of every show to engage and in some way entertain its audience. Even the Scottish play, you know, we have to have fun amid all the gore for us to pay attention. Um, and same with Hamlet, you know, we've got to love the guy before we can watch him go on this epic journey of indecision. Um, but I think that theater is still an art form that can challenge its audience. Uh, it's not all Michael Bay films. So <laughs> that's what I mean when I say I, I gravitate towards the off-Broadway stuff. The shows that I tend to enjoy on Broadway are usually transfers from a smaller, more artistic theater that just happened to get uh, the sort of attention it needed to go commercial. Gee, I wonder what show you could be talking about. <laughs> um, first off, Michael Bay, I agree with you there. He needs to go... We don't need, what is it, a fifth Transformer movie? Yeah. Why? They've got a, a writer's room put together for another, like, 20 years of Transformers films, too. Don't tell me that. Oh, no. They have everybody in Hollywood working on those now. Uh, is Mark Wahlberg going to be in all, all the rest of them? Or? Oh, I'm sure. Okay. You know, he's he can't do the underwear modeling anymore, so... <laughs> it's the only thing keeping him afloat. Well, that and, you know, stopping terrorists. Or stopping... What, what was the big villain in Deepwater Horizon? I don't know. <laughs> Yes, uh, oil, oil rig blowouts. Yeah. yeah. He did like a tragedy porn trilogy there with Patriot Day, Deepwater Horizon, and the other one. And then he went into therapy for all that depression. Oh, so. oh that explains a lot. Yeah, that's uh, just my opinion. Don't sue me, Marco. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, he is coming to Pittsburgh. Uh, oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, they're bringing the Wahlbergers here. Oh, right. Oh. Yeah. Um... Let me turn down the microphone just a bit. We're getting a little bit of pizza valleys. There we go. Better. There we go. Yeah, we're, we're recording at Carnegie Coffee Company today. 
Um, it is just easier for everyone involved. So you're going to hear a lot of background noise. I apologize. Um, we're trying to dampen it the best we can, but live with it. We love you. You love us. It's a pretty cool place, though, I yes. have to say, and we want to give them a shout-out for letting, letting us do this here. Yes, thank you, Carnegie Coffee. Uh, yeah, and uh, Carnegie, of course, is the home, home of the Carnegie Library. It's the home of um, State 62. Yeah, the Andrew Carnegie Free Library and Music Hall. Yes. Right off East Main. Yes. It's a great venue. I've always enjoyed going there, and you, we've, we've talked briefly before uh, starting to record, and um, you asked me if I'd you know, been to shows here, and of course I have, but it's kind of a hot ticket. A lot of the time, it's hard to, you know, there's just sold out crowds on the, on the runs. Oh yeah, Stage 62 so, has a loyal following. They've been around since 1962, so I'm excited to get in on on the work that they're doing and uh, and bring a show that's maybe not as well known as a lot of what they produce. And is this your this is your first musical? This is the with, first time that I'm directing for stage for, 62. Okay, Absolutely. all right, great, great. Okay, and you brought is, up musicals. I didn't mean to interrupt you, I'm sorry. Finish, your, finish your thought. It's fine, go you, ahead. You're gonna kill me? It's fine. Okay, so she brought up musicals. What can Peter and the Starcatcher be classified as? A play, a play with music, or a musical? So we like to call Peter and the Starcatcher a play with music. Um, when it was on Broadway, it found itself in the very odd situation of being nominated for and winning the Tony Award for Best Play, not Best Musical, but also being nominated for, and I believe winning, the Tony for Best Original Score which is typically all scores to musicals. Yeah. Um, so it was up against a bunch of musicals uh, in that category and plays in the other category. So there's, there's a lot of music under the scenes. There's a two-piece orchestra, a pianist and a percussionist, that sort of underscore the entire play and accentuate the work that the actors are doing. And then there's a few big musical numbers um, that really propel the story forward, and one that doesn't propel the story forward at all, but is a whole lot of fun. And uh, so it finds itself somewhere in between. Okay, because I've been wondering about that. Uh. Can I just say that I had an opportunity to see it on Broadway, and it was a TKTS uh, purchase day of uh, the uh, matinee. Oh, yeah. Third row. Oh my. <laughs> I was up in the peanut gallery when I saw it on Broadway. Well, this is actually what I want to ask you about because uh, it was it was kind of life-changing for me yeah. to see it because it was very up close and personal. Uh -huh. And I came away from that just just the energy of it and the uh, the stagecraft and the... I think, I mean, I yeah, was, I found out about the show because of you, like, evangelizing about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I was ridiculous for, for a while. But then, went to see it when it came through Pittsburgh. At, on I the guess, tour? The on the tour. Was in the very back of it. And honestly, didn't, didn't even have anywhere near the same experience. Couldn't hear, yeah. couldn't really see... There's so much of it that is so intricate. Yes. I think that you, you know, it's at a distance. It, I missed a lot, and I was quite disappointed. I want to say that the music hall is an in-between venue Absolutely. as far as distances, and I'm really 
you know, I'm hopeful. <laughs> I mean, not only that I want to I want to see it, Andrew is in it, and I, I, you know, I do love the show, but I'm hoping that's going to mitigate the experience that I had with the uh, tour. For sure. And, you know, I, I would say that some of your experience with the tour probably didn't just have to do with the size of the venue. Was it at Heinz Hall or the Benita? At the Benita. I mean, the Benita swallows Heinz. everything. And it swallows every show. But having been in that large, large Broadway house and played a large venue in New York and being way in the back, I still got a whole lot out of it. And I think part of the challenge with mounting Peter and the Starcatcher and doing it properly, because now I, I've seen a couple of productions that haven't quite hit it out of the park um, since that, is that they've got this really talented ensemble of actors and two directors and a book writer and then two novel writers who wrote this great series of, of young adult novels that this sort of adult show is based off of. This play is incredible because it works for people of all ages. Um, but they developed the script and the staging in tandem for years. So it's not that the playwright sat in a room, wrote a play, handed it off to the director, the director staged it. The staging influenced the text as much as the other way around, and the actors brought it to life. Christian Borel, who won a Tony Award for playing the pirate captain uh, Black Stash, developed that role, and it was written to suit his comedic persona. And so it's difficult to build the show from the ground up and have that devised nature and capture what they did. Because you can't just copy what they did as an ensemble. Our challenge is to find our own way into Peter and the Starcatcher and create something as exuberant and as hilarious that capitalizes on our cast's specific talents. Um, and sometimes I find the problem with a tour is it's the responsibility of that tour to do the staging exactly how it was done in New York. So they're doing Black Stash the way that Christian Borel did it and won his Tony. But it's not Christian Borg. Right. So right. sometimes I think that those subsequent productions would benefit from a little bit more looseness. Uh, a lot of the cast members, a lot of people who have seen the show that I've talked to, all had the same response. That they think that a lot of the play is improvised. There's so much about the show that is so unexpected. And these anachronistic jokes that come out where suddenly, you know, we'll be in 1885 and... Um, in, talking aboard a pirate ship and there's a reference to Michael Jackson and it comes out of nowhere and that original cast was so talented and so sharp that I assumed they were coming up with those jokes on the spot and I would fear that maybe something like the national tour would have lost the air of spontaneity and that's something that we're really trying to keep alive in the room for our production at stage 62. Just as a personal aside to that, that's kind of my opinion of most of the tours that come through Pittsburgh. I feel like we're at the end of their tour. <laughs> I, that is, you know, with almost no exceptions over the last seven or eight years when I've gone to CLA stuff and, and, and those, those tours that come through, I just feel like it's the end of their tour and it is a lot of the times it shows. And that's unfortunate because, you know, Pittsburgh audiences are... You know, they have their eyes open, their, their minds open, and their wallets open, yeah. you know, to, to be there. And sometimes I think it's, it just doesn't pan out the same way. So, but that's just my, my personal side to it. Um, and I'm, I'm not trying to interrupt you, 
answer. I'm not I'm saying also, anything. Go ahead. I'm also very curious what you think, and not as a um, criticism of any anything, but I'm wondering what you think about all of the theater and star catcher shows that are being mounted by different, um, you know, area theater companies. Yeah. This kind of happened. I, I was extremely surprised, and I guess it's just a, a, me, a, a matter of it being, the rights being available and people snapping them up as they could. But it seems like there's a lot in, in this season. Look, Peter and the Starcatcher is one of the most influential plays, American plays, of the last decade. It premiered off-Broadway, it went to Broadway, it sent a shockwave through the entire theater community and ushered in this entire new wave of story theater. Story theater being this really incredibly theatrical style of theater where the actors tell the stories with their bodies and their voices and their creativity and ingenuity. Instead of large set pieces rolling on from the side of the stage, we create all of these different locations in a ship with a few lengths of rope. And after that came productions like The Curious Incident of A Dog in the Nighttime, which took the same principles, the same story theater magic, and glossed it over with a more sort of neo-futurist look. Um, but you still, you've got everything that Peter and the Starcatcher was built on under there. Um, so it makes sense that once these rights sort of went public for regional theaters, everybody wanted it. Um, and so we are one of a few productions. I had the privilege of seeing the University of Pittsburgh production um, that happened a few weeks ago, and Johnny Downs, who's my scenic designer for the upcoming production of Big Fish that I'm directing for Front Porch Theatricals that'll go up at the new Hazlitt this summer, he designed their production. And so we have a really lovely relationship with their production in which we've been able to uh, borrow some of their props that they used so that we have them to play with in the rehearsal room. Um, and it was great to see a bunch of students put on the show. And um, something that they did that was really interesting was this is a, a it, the piece is written to be performed by 12 actors who do a lot of doubling. And to open the show up to more performance opportunities for their students, they created a larger ensemble. Um, so one of the aesthetic choices of the piece is that all of the actors narrate themselves as well. So Molly, the lead girl, she might be in the scene and talking to her scene partner and then look out to the audience and explain what she's thinking, which is a really fun, playful way to let us in on what things are going on um, very immediately. But when you expand the cast, they ended up taking a lot of that self-narration and giving it to other actors. Um, so my attention was spread a little bit thin, uh, but I enjoyed seeing a different take on the piece um, that because of what they wanted to do for the university students they had to put their own spin on the piece um, because they were changing the aesthetics. Um, then we have, well I don't want to name the theaters that are doing the adaptions <laughs> of Peter and the Starcatcher, but I don't, I, you know, I have friends involved with another production um, that's happening. Their staging is going to be very different than ours. They have a very different space got a very different cast um, but you know my goal going into casting this play was I'm gonna get the saltiest most ragtag band of uh, sailors and pirates to tell this story um, I want to really focus on uh, the thematic choice to have one girl in the cast who plays the lead character Molly Astor 
who's one of the most badass heroines um, <laughs> that we've seen on the stage in recent memory, and to surround her by an ensemble of men, um, and to watch her lead that band. And I, I noticed that a lot of the other productions happening in the area, they've cast more women which is awesome, and I totally support, and I was open to it in our casting process, but I was really glad that we had the, uh, the men show up that I needed to get a cast of 11 men and one girl to lead the cast, because I think it really makes her shine and speaks to the themes of the play, um, which very much, the opening scene, it's extremely comedic, it's a prologue where the actors come out and, um, and talk directly to the audience. And one of the first things that Molly says is, when I was a young girl, I dreamed of flying. And everybody looks at her and says, I thought only boys dreamed of flying. Um, so, so there are other productions, they're making other choices, and what we're trying to do is really capture the intention of that original production, of the team that devised it originally, and what made that production such a hit. Because more so than other plays, I don't think that, I don't think Peter and the Starcatcher won the Tony for best play because it had the best script on Broadway that season. It won the Tony for best play because it had the best production on Broadway that season. Uh, the direction was as uh, vital to why that play was a success as the words on the page. So I'm, as a director, trying to go back and understand all of the choices that Alex Timbers and Roger Rees, two very different, very talented directors who collaborated on this project, made and translate that for a new cast and a new space and a new production. Well, I think this is going to be an extremely unique um, opportunity for Pittsburgh audiences to try them out, to see that, that you know, it's, it comes down to a directorial perspective, that it comes down to um, the, the cast and the chemistry with the cast and for the sure. ability of the cast. Um, we have um, really, and I, I've always said this in our podcast, that it is a... We have 46, I think, production uh, theater companies in the Pittsburgh area. Yeah. But it's actually a very small community when you start interacting with actors and directors and people that have done this show at this place. And I think that that's just is really going to offer Pittsburgh audiences. This would be something like we could do a Peter and the Starcatcher, you know, viewing tour, and then. <laughs> quizzes, I don't know, we can do quizzes, or, you know, it's going to provide audiences that that choice and start seeing that there's there's different ways to do different things, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it, I was not looking at this as like, this theater company's going to do it better, or this, I think they're just going to be different, Yes. and it's going to offer such choice for the Pittsburgh audience. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see what other people do with the play. Ours is going to be the best production. Of so course. Come and see ours. But it's funny what you say about the community being so close-knit. I ran into the artistic director of one of the other theaters who's doing this play at Starbucks, and we started catching up because we've, we've done some work together. And I mentioned that I'm directing Peter coming up. And she goes, oh, Stage 62 told us that they nabbed some hotshot, overqualified New York director <laughs> who was coming in to do it. 
And I was like, yeah, well, I guess that's me. So, <laughs> um, so we're going to have a lot of fun. And I will say that I think what makes our cast so special is that we, we have such a breadth of talent coming from different backgrounds. Um, we've got some younger actors who are playing the Lost Boys. Um, some of them currently at Point Park in the conservatory program or at Pitt. Um, the actor who's playing our nameless orphan boy, who's one of the lead characters, who may become a character that you recognize um, from some related Peter Pan materials. Um, he's graduating from Point Park this weekend, I think, um, and going to be making, I guess, his semi-professional <laughs> debut oh, <wow. laughs> on our stage. And we have an extremely talented um, local equity, which is the actor's equity, is the... Uh, the union for um, for actors. So we've got a professional black stash, the uh, Tony-winning track um, named Brett Goodnack, um, who I poached for this production. He has an incredible background in improv comedy and sketch comedy, and has done some really great comedic shows with companies like Bricolage. And um, I went out and I had to find the funniest guy in town to play this role that really should steal the show. And I'm so glad to have Brett come and see him tear into this great comedic role. It is a fantastic role. And he, oh everyone, like, I don't, working within the cast, you know, being, if I can say this, I honestly don't think there's a, besides me, there's a weak link in the cast. Mm -mm. And that wasn't a, you know, I wasn't fishing, but thank uh. you. Um, it's it's such a pleasure to go in to rehearsal every day and just see what we come up with doing this show. Yeah. Um, this is going to be the most physically demanding show I've ever done. <laughs> um, because we're lifting things. We're making things with ropes. Um, we're doing a whole bunch of lotses. Lotsies. 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 Which explains to the people what Lotsies are. I actually don't know this. This is great. Lotsi is an industry term. Um, it's a term that goes all the way back to French and Italian Commedia dell'arte, which is sort of the root of all comedy. It was these actors who would go out in a cart in the middle of the town and perform comedy for their lives, performing these stock characters that everybody knew um, to try and, you know, get change from the audience. Um, and so it was sort of like the early French and Italian sitcoms that you'd see these actors pop up and um, the story would be different every time because they'd be improvising it, but you'd know the characters based on the costume and the masks that they were wearing. And a lotsi is the term for basically a short comedic bit that doesn't move the plot forward. So um, for instance, the stakes usually have to be really high. So maybe there's a famous lotso the singular form of Lotsi, from A Servant to Two Masters, which the Pittsburgh Public Theater did a couple seasons ago. So some of you might be familiar with this. Um, one of the most famous Lotso is that, um, oh, what's Truffle Dino, the lead clown in that show, has a letter that he's supposed to deliver to his master, who beats him when he does things wrong. He opens the letter and realizes that if he, if he doesn't seal it again and make it look as though he never opened the letter, then his master will beat him. But one of Truffle Dino's uh, primary character traits is that he's always starving. He, he loves to eat and he's always trying to stuff his face. So all he has on stage with him to seal this letter with is a slice of bread. 
So he's got this opened letter that he has to reseal so his master doesn't beat him. He has one slice of bread, and he's got to use that slice of bread to make the letter look like new. Now, traditionally, this is done as an improv moment. So you get a really well-trained clown. He goes out on stage every night, and he comes up with a new bit every night. So one night, he might chew up little bits of the bread and use it as glue to close the envelope. I've seen it done before where he'll eat the bread and then he'll, quote, poop it out and use it that way. Comedia humor is really scatological and, and uh, it's not precious. Um, but the, the challenge for the actor is also to play the fact that Truffle Dino wants to eat that bread. And if he eats the whole slice of bread and he doesn't use it to seal the letter, then he's going to get beaten. So Lotsi are all about, I've got this thing that I want to do and I have this thing that I need to do. And they're clashing against each other and something comedic happened and, and then the actor solves the problem and we get back into the plot. Okay, because I meant to bring that up and just ask you what that meant, and then I thought, oh, I'll do one of the podcasts, and it'll be a teaching moment. Fantastic. So thank you. Um, I'm trying to think of other things. I, you can tell we haven't done the podcast in a while, because well, I'm just like... Uh, after Peter, you're doing the Big Fish. Uh, Porsche, uh, production of Big Fish. Yes, I'm very excited. And have they had auditions for that? Yes, or? we've actually, we just sort of announced the cast online last week, Um They've got their production of Violet coming up a little bit before Big Fish, so they've been advertising that as well. Um, but our cast is going to be led by Broadway actor Billy Hartung as Edward Bloom. I was talking to another theater artist in town about Big Fish um, when I got the job, and he looked at me and he said, yeah, but who plays Edward? Uh, it's a role that was specifically written for this incredible Tony-winning actor, Norbert Leo Butts. Um, and the actor has to play Edward Bloom at every age from like 12 to 60. So you've got to find somebody with that versatility and an incredible voice to handle the score. And first and foremost for me, a really talented actor who connects with the role. And uh, we were having a hard time finding somebody who, who could do all of those things. And we thought Billy Hartung. Billy was in the original Broadway casts of Footloose and Sideshow, and he's in Rob Marshall's Best Picture winning uh, film version of Chicago. Um, he's an incredible actor, dancer, singer, and we sort of pulled him out of retirement to come on stage. He's, he's got six kids, he's a family man, he's been raising them, and uh, we got in contact and said, would you like to audition for this role? And uh, his kids said, we want to see you play Edward Bloom. So we said yes, he came in, we worked on it, we cast him, and I'm having a great time already in pre-production collaborating with them. That's awesome. Uh, there was an article that I saw on Facebook about one of your biggest pet peeves, bringing New York actors in to Pittsburgh, and I think this is an excellent jumping off point for that. Absolutely, and I'll jump in right away and say that <laughs> Billy Hartung is a Pittsburgher. Exactly. First and foremost. Um, and it's lovely to see people who, you know, uh, start their careers here and are able to go back to New York. But Billy decided that what was really important to him was to settle down and raise a family. Uh, so he hasn't, he's, he's passed on a lot of offers to come back to New York and even on projects in Pittsburgh. 
Um, we didn't know, we really didn't think that we were going to be able to convince him to do it. But once his kids got on board, uh, that's the kind of guy he is. He's just one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Um, so it's great to see a, somebody who's such an integral part of this community find that sort of success on Broadway and be able to bring that exactly. Come back. back to Pittsburgh rather than us going and casting in New York. So we've gotten all Pittsburgh cast. Everybody, uh, some of the younger cast members, you know, didn't come to Pittsburgh until university, um, but they're Pittsburghers now. And so we cast the whole thing out of Pittsburgh, and it'll be a great show. Fantastic. I love Pittsburgh actors. We have such a talented, small, intricate, incestuous, talented base here, and it just makes me so happy to see local actors who have either starting out, uh, coming from Point Park, um, such as Boy and Peter, or have come to, gone to Broadway, done incredible work there, and then coming back, such as Billy Hartung, just working to create, I think, one of the most vibrant theater communities around. Absolutely. Exactly. And, and actors come back because they love Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, these actors who did go to school here at one of our great theater universities, um, they look for auditions in Pittsburgh so that they can come back because they love the town. We've got a great city. Exactly. I mean, hell, Jeff Goldblum came back and did the music band. Yes, he did. <laughs> I remember. I was a kid when I saw so that. Did, so was I. I loved that... it. And I, you know, I you hear wait, questionable wait, wait. things about it. You loved that? I did. I was all about it, but I was, you know, I don't remember almost anything about it, except that I was seeing the guy from Jurassic Park in the music <laughs> and that he was great, but I still love Jeff Goldblum. Oh, I still love Jeff Goldblum, too. I'm excited for him in Thor, but <laughs> because I think that's what he does best. Um, the only thing I remember about the music man was his fiance. I, th I think they're still together, was playing Marion. And he was doing this weird thing with his voice. Oh, really? Yeah. The, I'm not sure if it was just the evening I saw it or what, but he was doing this weird, like, I capitulating it randomly. <laughs> I can't even like, do an imitation of it. It is just so random, and I'm just like, I. this is going to sound horrible, but I think I realized that's the first time, oh, you can make wrong choices. <laughs> um... Uh, yeah, you know, I don't want to date myself too much, but I think it was a little bit younger than you were when it happened. I don't even remember how old I was, and so I have you're very like what twenty five memories. I, I a, a lady never tells her age. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh man! Forgive me, listeners, if I'm you know seem down. I just came from, like I said, painting and installing locks, so I'm tired. We're gonna take over for a bit. Uh, I'm just, I'm delighted that you were able to join us yes. today, and, and I hope this is a little bit, you know, of more welcoming you back and to yeah. working here, and uh, I hope we see more of you and more of your productions. I'm very excited to hopefully get a ticket to <laughs> Are you trying to hit me up for cops on air? <laughs> to stage 62's production of... Uh, Peter and the Starcatcher, and when does it mount? Absolutely. We open May 11th, and we run through the 21st right here in Carnegie at the Andrew Carnegie Free Library and Music Hall. Uh, tickets are reasonably priced. Go online, buy them now. Stage62.com. That's the word stage, S-T-A-G-E, the number 62. 
Bookshop.com and uh, get your tickets. Yeah, there'll be a link on there. Um, I'll post uh, promo photos from the show. Um, who did them again? Who did? Oh, we got yeah. Michael Cannon did a great photo shoot. They with are us fantastic. Just the other day. Really proud of those. Yeah. So I'll post those on the website. Um, I will post the link to tickets on the website. So uh, on my website, I mean Facebook page because we're cheap and I'm not paying Squarespace. And um, we'll also do a shout out when uh, Big Fish comes. Yeah, out. definitely when yeah, Big Fish comes great. out, we'll and do don't it. Don't forget Violet that's opening at the New Hazlitt. Absolutely, that's a great piece directed exactly. by. Um, Robin Parrish, who's a friend and a talented director as well. And, you know, I, I don't think that I've stressed it enough, but we all know and love the characters from Peter Pan. And what Peter and the Starcatcher does that's so amazing is we start out with this ensemble of characters that we don't recognize. And in surprising ways, without giving away how, by the end of the show, you're going to be right where you started in, in Wendy's bedroom. Exactly. And, uh, and it's I, a really fun journey to get there. It's so fun. And uh, you brought up uh, Comedia dell'arte being uh, very scatological. Um, it, my character, Elf, is he's so many fart jokes. We're not afraid of the fart jokes. We're not afraid of the fart jokes. We're not afraid for... I'm definitely not afraid for a cheap laugh. And if, we're not afraid of uh, intellectual jokes about the rise and fall of the British Empire. Exactly. And, and you know, difficult, messy colonialist themes. <laughs> uh -huh. So uh, there's something for everybody in this play. Exactly. So um, I think we're going to cut it off. It's going to be a short episode this week. Uh, so thank you for listening. As always, Theater Net is a production of Cypher I Media. It's been recorded, edited, and executive produced by Stephen Croner and produced by Roberta Hans and myself, Andrew Wolf. Follow Roberta on Twitter at Hans Roberta. Follow me on Twitter at Caesar, C E A S A R 209. Uh, follow the podcast at Theater Net. Uh, are you on social media at all? I'm not on Twitter. You're, oh my God. You need to get on Twitter. No, I, you know, I have people who do that for me. <laughs> I was going to say, because then you could follow different actors and then... Well, I've got to get my website up and running. Uh, I mean, this is where I'd plug my website. But, but You don't have one? I, you know, I have the domain name. Spencerwell.com will go live eventually. Eventually. But I've been shuffling my feet on putting it together. Dude, Squarespace, I make a joke, but... That's, and, uh, I, you know, I've been dabbling on Squarespace and Wix, and this isn't interesting for your re really listeners <laughs> at all. <laughs> I actually uh, was going to use Wix to do the theater the podcast website, but then I just kind of said... Eh. Facebook's fine for now. So everybody, tell us in the comments, which do you prefer, <laughs> Wix or Squarespace? Yes. Uh, tweet at us, hashtag Wix yes, or hashtag Squarespace yes. Help me build my website. <laughs> or Help me, theater podcast. You're my only hope. <laughs> oh, Carrie Fisher. That's what, that, she died. Debbie Reynolds died. Man. Now I'm depressed. Thanks for bringing it up. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note. And yeah. on that note. Uh, happy, should, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Should we do the little sign-off thing? Sure. As always, good night and good, good theater. theater.